Hey movie lovers, it's Yana from The Basic Cinephile, and I'm here to tell you about season one of The Basic Cinephile podcast. My sister Adelia and I are rereading and rewatching the entire Harry Potter series. We're millennials, so we were so obsessed with this series growing up, and it's been really fun to go back and revisit the series with adult eyes. We've noticed a lot of things that just don't make any sense, like wizarding transportation seems like a total pain, and Hogwarts is such a safety violation. Catch new episodes of The Basic Cinephile podcasts every thursday wherever you get podcasts tonight on the guy at the movies podcast with joe and sean we are joined once again by the basic cinephile and we are diving into such thrilling stories as the live action hot wheels and that's just enough to carry us through so if you're excited for that stick around we'll have some fun change the game just now i have a rave these are the best ideas i've ever heard Seth I'm saying that that's, that's the commentary that will exist. Oh, my girl, Oh my god! Welcome to the Guy at the Movies podcast with Joe and Sean. I am Joe. He is Sean. This is episode 95, and we are joined by the wonderful Ziana from the Basic Cinephile. Ziana, how goes it? I'm good. How are you guys? Oh, you know, just wonderful. You're over there moving and shaking with the new podcast and diving into everything Harry Potter and all, and we're just over here grumbling about J.J. Abrams doing dumb stuff. <laughs> I was going to say, I talk about Harry Potter. You guys talk about literally everything else. <laughs> Sometimes too much, too many other things. You know? And also Harry Potter. So and also Harry Potter. Of <laughs> Sean, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Last night, I got to bed around uh, 4.30 and woke up at 5. So um, I'm currently right now asleep. Oh, for no reason whatsoever. I just couldn't sleep. So um, I'm, I'm in some dynamite shape. Uh, I might fall asleep here in this pod. I'm on this new kick of like trying to get to bed at a decent time, but it doesn't work for me. I lay in bed and then like one o'clock, I'm like, well, this is a good time to, you know, get up and read a book or something. I don't know. It's terrible. Same. Yeah. Not a lot of fun. Guys, let's start off with some fun here. We have some breaking news. Now, in the world of remakes, not many of them take shape in the way that we would hope, and not many of them pay, uh, you know, do the, do the original justice. One of those I didn't know was going to be an issue for me until I just found out that it was going to be an actual remake, and they are uh, casting for it as we speak, is Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Oh. An absolute classic. Ziana, you've seen this, right? Yeah, but like a really long Same time Same here. But I just remember it being like this cult classic with, uh, what's her name? Christina Applegate as Sue yeah. Ellen. And um, so <laughs> they're, they're remaking it because okay. nothing can stay sacred. And let's get your reaction to this casting, Ziana. Okay. Tyra Banks. No. <laughs> no. No. Who? Did you say Who? No, no, who is she going to oh. play? <laughs> Sorry, I should have finished the sentence. She signed on for a role. <laughs> Specifics there. Uh, this actually just came. Banks will... Wait, what? 
Banks will play Cassidy's character, Rose, a fashion executive. Oh, so okay. she's the exact. Well, that makes a little more sense. Okay. Yeah. I'm not as upset. Um, Let's see who else is in this. Billy Woodruff of Yellow Jackets is directing. Okay. The script was written by Chuck Hayward of WandaVision. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't know any other casting. But here we go. More more remakes. It's gonna be really tough when Tyra Banks is your draw. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> it's like how are we gonna rope him in? Tyra Banks. <laughs> is she I mean she's not relevant anymore, is she? Like the last thing I saw her on was when they had her like hosting Dancing with the Stars. Oh, oh yeah, she's still doing that. And I I never really watched Dancing with the Stars. I think I watched like three episodes of the first season she hosted, and it was like the most Dancing with the Stars I've ever seen. <laughs> and she wasn't a good host. Not at all. And they're moving it to Disney Plus, so that tells you where Dancing with the Stars is uh, in terms of popularity. Okay, yeah, yikes. I mean, Tyra Banks is fun, but like, I'll just watch. Uh, <laughs> whatever like life size or whatever the the disney oh, channel yeah. original movie she's in that's enough tyra banks for me coyote ugly is my ty my uh tyra Ooh. banks movie okay that movie's actually <laughs> fantastic she's in coyote ugly yeah she's the nasty one <laughs> right that was her that was her yeah. role like that was the she's, name of the she's character. the mean girl that's like trying she's like you, you better take a look at your girl here and she's the one that gets her in trouble with the water and stuff there's mm -hmm. a chance that I haven't seen this movie at all. I've chance. only seen the parts of the John Goodman. There's a chance um, that I've seen it way too many times. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get back to our originally scheduled program here. Uh, Ziana, we'd like to dive into uh, some trailers here and there. Uh, mm -hmm. And so Crimes of the Future is a trailer that has been released that is uh, an A24 feature. So that tells you right, uh, right off the bat mm -hmm. that it's going to be kind of batshit crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, Kristen Stewart's in it. Vigo Mortensen's in it. Scott Speedman. Scott Speedman. Look at him making a comeback. Good for him. Um, a lot of random people, uh, but this is directed by the crazy David Cronenberg. Um, Sean, let's start off with you here. What did you think of this trailer? I mean, it looks spectacular. Yeah. Um, it's it's like you said, batshit crazy. Very weird. It's Cronenberg off the rails, which we've seen before. We've seen this is a video drum Cronenberg. This isn't a history of violence or. Uh, Eastern promises, even though even though those can get a little bit crazy, but um, I mean, I I'm just like so enthralled by this and like how much like the, the slight amount of imagery they give us, which is all unsettling, all strange, and we don't know anything about this. But I mean, we got Kristen Stewart, you know, fresh off an Oscar now, and we got Leah Sadu, fresh off a of Bond girl, and you know, we got Viggo Mortensen, who is Viggo Mortensen, and like all <laughs> like the cast alone has me going for it. Um, yeah, exactly. This just looks crazy, insane. This is going to be at Cannes, and so I've already predicted what's going to happen. It's going to win Cannes, and then it's going to like not show up anywhere near the Oscars, but we're all going to bitch about it like we did with Tatan. Or, excuse me, like I did with Tatan. But, <laughs> <laughs> I think I was the only one that cared about that one. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but I, I think, it, yeah, it's just going to be a weird thing that wins Cannes and then doesn't really go further than that. I'm ready for more sci-fi, so I'm excited for it. Ziana, what were your thoughts on this? I mean, my initial reaction was just like jaw on the ground, like yeah. what the fuck. <laughs> um, but so intrigued, so excited. Like I'll definitely see it as soon as I can. Very intrigued by it. Yeah, it looks totally off the rails. But 
fun in like a really sick and yeah. twisted way. So I, I'm all in for it. But I know baby. what it's about. I know <laughs> what will happen. Pretty much. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I go into all of his movies. Um, I do like that Kristen Stewart's continuing to like stay busy. It's it's mm-hmm. nice to see her back, so to speak. Not that she ever really was like, I don't think she was like top back in the day outside of Twilight, but mm-hmm. it's nice to see her there. Um, humor me here too. I'm going to share a, we're going to actually watch a trailer together. Oh, geez. Um, oh. This and is never this, good. No, this Family is good. Watch along. Okay. This is a, uh, a, a movie called, that's coming to Hulu. Uh, it is a romantic oh. comedy buddy thing. Did you watch this trailer already? I, I meant to watch it because you posted about it, but I haven't gotten a chance to watch it. So I'm well, excited to now. Here you go. It's called Fire Island. Give me a thumbs up to make sure you can hear it when it plays. Get on the boat! Stupid bitch Noah every year. Oh, I made it, didn't I? This week is sacred. We're going to Fire Island. And this is why straight people hate us. And also, heteronormativity, Judeo-Christian pathology, anal. <laughs> For whatever reason, call it magic, time sort of works differently here. Finally, my girls have a fun! <laughs> that is our makeshift little family. We all met 10 years ago working at the same cursed brunch spot. Bottomless mimosa, bitches! <laughs> hey, you're gonna refill your butt? I can't believe you talked me into this again. I come here, I just feel terminally alone. Oh, are you alright? It's fine. It happens all the time. Do you want some whiskey? It would help with your knees. You trust me, I'm a doctor. No! <laughs> Do they have a house on the beach? Well, we can't go over there. We are literal trash. Guys, excuse me? I think you may have the wrong house. Have you seen the way you're they're clearly using us for free liquor. Well, promise me you'll try to have a good time. Do not let these people think that they are better than us Whoa. because of the end. Never mind. Okay, guys like that are ruining this island. Play harsh time. I have never met somebody who has made it so clear that they think they're so superior than everybody else. I don't think I'm better than you. You think that if you're vulnerable for just one second, that it's all gonna come crashing down. Oh my god, my baby's dying! I don't think I want to be implicated in this. You stick it in! All you guys, you're like, all I have. We're family. That means something to me. What are we gonna like hug and wrap this up? How does this happen? Why don't we just get a little f up in this? The defense is wrong! My biological clock is taking like this! Penelope Cruz? Oh, oh, it's romantic! <laughs> I think that looks really good. I am so excited for that. <laughs> wow, that look that's just like just like a wonderful, fun movie. Oh mm-hmm. my god. Bowen Yang in the lead, which I love. Um, I think he wrote it as well. He's from SNL. Much deserved uh, lead there. Margaret Cho in there. Um, Conrad Nick. Uh, oh my gosh, Conrad Nicamara or Rickamara? He's from How to Get Away with Murder. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Did you catch the uh, Clueless reference there? I missed when- the Clueless reference. Yes, I caught it after you <laughs> laughed at it. I was like, why was that funny? And then I was like, oh, way harsh, Ty. Yeah. <laughs> 
I so Fire Island is such an interesting thing because it is like the big like party gay destination, but there's really nice houses and stuff as well. But there's people that have gone within the community that have said that it is pretty like pretentious and yeah. that there's okay. it's clicky and stuff. So this is a, it, I read an article today about why they were making this and why Bowen, excuse me, wrote it. And he talked about, you know, feeling that when he went at, mm-hmm. at a time and wanting to put that into a film and explore that. So I'm all for it. I'm like, this looks great. It's another like Hulu's giving the gays everything they want with their movies. Um <laughs> Even though the, all the gays will be like, more representation. We hated that movie. More representation. We hated that movie. So things are good. Um, I mean, it's going to be something that like really gets into like, it seems like it's going to get into the politics of the gay community, which is like fascinating. And it's going to like take on stereotypes. So I could see it like ruffling feathers. Like, and that that's kind of cool. I like that. I'm all for it. I am absolutely I think, all for it. I think it seems like it's going to be fun. Like, mm-hmm. even just watching that trailer, I'm like, well, I'm not a gay man. But I had so many scenes <laughs> where I was like, oh, yes, trashed at Mimosa Brunch. I relate to that. <laughs> Going up at a house party where you don't know people, and then you start to feel really awkward because you're like, I was technically invited, but now I don't want to be here. <laughs> Is it weirder if I leave? Do I stay? Like, I don't know. It just kind of seems like they took a lot of those moments that we've all lived and just yeah. kind of thrown them into a movie. And I love... I love when movies do that. Yeah, relatable. And when the trailer is like laugh out loud funny in a lot yeah. of places, yeah. then you know the movie's going to be good. Hopefully yeah. they didn't. And I don't think that they actually showed all the best parts because Mm-mm. it was just like quick clips that were really funny. So yeah. that Marissa Tomei thing's really funny too. Yeah, I, I love line. that line. Oh my God, that was so... Because I was like, wait, what are they talking about? And then like I see the Marissa Tomei <laughs> the thing and I was just like, perfect. Yeah. All right, let's dive into what we've been watching. Uh, I'm going to start off here. I watched The Thing About Pam. I usually don't watch series, but I finally did here because I am a, um, Ziana, you are too, true crime mm-hmm. fanatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have listened to Dateline 2020, maybe Crime Junkie, so many others about this story that I wanted to see how they played it out. Did you watch this, Ziana? I haven't, and I'm actually not familiar with the story of so the quick the quick story is um, this woman Pam was in, uh, I forget her last name oh my gosh Huff Pam Huff was implicated in the murder of her best friend um, but they originally charged the husband and um, then down the like a couple years later another person ends up dead who Pam said was an intruder trying to kill her in the name of her husband the husband okay. uh, who had gotten out of jail or had been uh, had his conviction overturned. Um, and then you find out that she may have actually killed her mother as well. And it's all about money and just like, okay. life insurance policies and stuff. But she is a character. She okay. changed her story 70 million times. Um, she makes the weirdest faces. She just injects herself into like every aspect of the investigation. So this series is limited. It's six episodes. And it's Renee Zellweger in the lead. Mm-hmm. Josh Brolin's also in it. Um, oh, my gosh. Judy Greer's in it. Uh, not Josh Brolin. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Josh Jamal. Um, Josh Jamal. And it's it's weird. I, I don't know how else to explain it. It's Sean. I think you watched an episode, didn't you? I'm, I have uh, two episodes under my belt right now, okay. and it 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 honestly like I I see it as something very interesting. It's got like sort of an Adam McKay style where it's like you mentioned this the other uh, the other day where it's like she's wearing a pink bag. No, she was wearing a blue bag and like yeah. it changes right there. And so it's got that like, you know, like somewhat yeah. humorous style. I don't like that it treats you like you're dumb sometimes yeah. where it like really zooms in on a receipt from Arby's. And I'm like, 
Well, you already showed him going to Arby's. We know that that's going to be like some sort of alibi in the future, but you don't need to hold on a receipt for five minutes. I mean, there's little things like that where I was like, you're setting up too much. Like, just, you know, have us guess. That's a really good point. It it is a very simplistic show in the way that Mm -hmm. it just hand feeds you everything. But even it, it just has this comic undertone to it, which I think does a little bit of a disservice to the victims. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the way that they, they I always hate these like these shows that you don't know what happened in the car ride between point A and point B that only had the victim and Pam. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of coming up with what they were talking about. And that just always seems really weird to me. So it was it was a good watch. I'll say that knowing the story, the last two episodes seemed like they could have been one um and it kind of just fizzled out for me but uh what uh, the other thing is it's, they treat it like a dateline episode in a way where ken morrison is or keith morrison is actually uh narrating the show so okay. yeah it's really weird it's but a, it has a comedic undertone that's a weird mix <laughs> it's it's so hard to explain I was, I was trying to explain it to sean when i watched it and i'm like i don't i don't know yeah okay but, that keeps showing up on my like suggested for you. It's like number one, so I will eventually watch it. <laughs> I will not say, surprised at all. Like yeah. with your true crime, <laughs> I will say that it's one of those that like, even though I didn't know how I felt about it, I'm like, I gotta watch the next episode. I gotta get yeah. to the end. It's six episodes. I gotta do it. Um, so, and if you don't know the story, I think it's pretty interesting. It's probably better if you don't know the story, to be okay. honest. The, like the actual details, because knowing it. I and knowing the seriousness of it all, seeing it told in this way was just mm. odd, but yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Um, Sean, uh, Mr. Jared Leto fan yourself, you watched uh, We Crashed, We Crashed, and buckle up. I didn't think Jared Leto had a horrible performance, he didn't have a horrible performance in Morbius either. What I'm gonna just talk about We Crash then. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> I will say, like, with uh, We Crash, this is one of the many like tech gone bad or you know startups gone bad uh shows that are for some reason all being released this month Mm -hmm. and that is actually kind of coincidence like you know one show got delayed because of covid one show like you know was pushed ahead because of covid so so you know in all of the situation it just kind of like ended up that like the uber show this one we crash and the dropout were there um this one is pretty okay um i will say jared leto is very good it's an annoying performance like he always does, but he does dial it back a little bit where, you know, there, there are quiet moments with him because he's this annoying, boisterous character, Adam Newman. And these quiet moments where you see him actually like kind of buying into his own delusion. It's almost like terrifying when you see him. Um, Anne Hathaway is an absolute re- revelation in this. Uh, she is also someone that's just like, you know, playing a complete monster and um you know playing it to about nine to ten at the at a level of nine to ten and but holding back emotion like sort of letting out the the smallest bit of humanity behind this facade of like horribleness um the the show itself is it's a fascinating story it's about of course uh we work and it's rise and fall and so it's fascinating enough but i found myself when writing the review i was just like shit i literally have nothing to say like nothing bad to say, nothing good to say. I was just like, I, I don't oh, know what to say. It was so those are the worse. worst reviews to write. I, I couldn't believe it. It's it's actually the first time it happened to me. Then eventually I was able to put some bullshit down. But like I it, um it was interesting enough. It's worth watching. It's well made, but for some reason it just didn't bring anything fresh to the table. And that might not be its fault, because once again, <clears throat> I, I saw like four other shows with the tech companies gone bad 
like you know genre at this point and mm -hmm. it, like the other ones brought something interesting or actually something terrible in the case of the super pumped uber show um but i don't know they're, they're it, it's still worth the watch uh i mean apple tv right now has like eight shows that are amazing so i'd put it close to the bottom of the shows that have like recently been released or are currently being released um, but, uh, other than that, um, the other thing I watched was, um, and this one, I don't like talking about shows before they end, but this one is just absolutely batshit and crazy. It's interesting. You mentioned Josh Brolin, cause this is called outer range starring Josh Brolin. And, uh, basically it's Yellowstone meets true detective as some people have described it. And that's just such an apt description. Um, this guy's a ranch hand. He owns a giant ranch. Um, he's got a family there and everything. And there's a perfectly circular hole that dives into a portal in some way. He doesn't know where it goes, but when he throws stuff into it, it doesn't like go away or anything like that. And <clears throat> basically they're also trying to cover up the murder and it just like turns into, there's two parts of it. There's this fantastical sci-fi level to it. And then there's also just this like, you know, like just straight up crime where they're trying to cover things up, which, you know, we've seen before, but it still is intense. Um, uh, Josh Brolin spectacular. Um, Tom Pelfrey's in it, who is, uh, you know, Laura Linney's brother in Ozark. Amazing performance there. Brings in one great here. And uh, then also Will Patton, uh, Coach Yost in Remember the Titans, who is a cartoon character in this in the absolute best of ways. Oh, my goodness. Just truly wonderful. But uh, definitely check that one out. I've All been right. curious about that one. That keeps popping up, too. And I'm like, oh, another show. I feel like there's it, so many shows right now. <laughs> It is batshit. All okay. Right. So Ziana, what have you been watching? Because I'm I'm seeing your list, and you got you got us some great stuff here. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I guess um, last night I went and saw the unbearable weight of massive talent, yes. and loved it. I mean, I knew I was gonna love it, but it was just so much fun to just see like such a meta movie with Nick Cage playing who we think Nick Cage is. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I super enjoyed that movie. And then um, I'm going to, I'm going to break your rule about, cause you just did too, about talking about shows before they end. I'm going to talk um, about, we're going to talk about this one together though. Cause I'm, okay. I'm curious to see what you think. Good. Season two of the flight attendant started and there's two episodes that are out. So I watched both of those and I loved the first season mm -hmm. and I, I kind of thought it was just going to end. Like, I didn't think it was going to be a series. I thought it was just going to be like a limited series. And then that's it. That's the whole story. And so when they said they were going to do a season two, my initial reaction was like, Ooh, like why let's just leave it where it is. And I didn't really feel like there was going to be enough of a storyline. If they were going to be talking about Megan and her like stealing secrets and selling them to the North Korean government, <laughs> whatever that plot line was that they kind of went into. Um, so I was kind of, nervous for season two but i really liked it so far i think i might even like it more than the first season so i am pleasantly surprised have they're, you watched the episodes yet it's fascinating because they're turning it on a, yeah. on a on a head where this is like it's like a john the car spy novel now mm -hmm. and i'm i'm sort of want like you know because now she's sort of a civilian asset for the cia yeah and they still have her like you know surrounded by a mystery except the mystery is not just you know regular person in a hotel mm -hmm. room with a dead guy there's the car explosion and yeah. how she's handling that and uh you know thank god uh zosha Mamet is still in this show mm -hmm. and i hope she's in the rest of the season because yes we need her there she yes, needs to do. be there that's like a very like integral part of the show um 
But I, yeah, I still really like it. I don't know. It, it, it like you, it should have ended at the end of season one. It should mm-hmm. have been a limited series. It had a perfect arc. There's a lot of shows going on like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you watched the Amazon show, The Wilds, um, no. but season two of that is coming up when it shouldn't okay. be. And then uh, the other one, which I'm watching, and I, I, I also am enjoying the second season, but Russian Doll, where okay, I didn't what? watch that one yet. Oh. That that one is like you know it's too crazy of a show where it's like how do they how are they opening up a second season and they're just doing some sort of other fanciful thing just like okay. they're doing with the flight attendant and okay. so it works but you know I'm uh, I'm curious to see where it goes yeah yeah no I think I think it's got potential because I think with the flight attendant the first season she is an alcoholic she's mm-hmm. wasted the whole time and she's seeing the dead guy and having these conversations in her head with him. And so you're wondering the whole time, like what is real and what isn't real? And is she crazy? And then this season she's sober, but you get the battle of like her sobriety. And this time, like the inner demon, so to speak is herself. And I thought that was an interesting twist. Cause that's so true. Like these conversations that you have with yourself and her whole life has done like this 180 and they talk about that in the first episode how like she she wasn't necessarily supposed to do that but she's an impulsive person so she did and she's just like everything's great now i fixed everything everything's great <laughs> and so we know like okay well everything's it's gonna fall apart <laughs> and this is gonna be fun to watch. <laughs> all right let's talk about john wayne gacy then Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. So um, I watched the Netflix true crime series Conversations with a Killer, um, the John Wayne Gacy tapes, and, you know, true crime lover. <laughs> Just to slightly interrupt, this is the, the Conversations with a Killer is a mm-hmm. series, right? There was one before this. Mm-hmm. They did one on um, Ted Bundy. That's what it is, yes. Mm-hmm. Which was actually like... I used to not be a true crime person at all. It would like paranoid me and I, I hated it. And then I watched that one about Ted Bundy and like, that's actually what kind of got me into true crime. Um, so John Wayne Gacy, like he's the killer who would dress up like a clown and he like killed a bunch of um, like young men and young boys in Chicago in the 1970s. And I listen to a lot of this true crime stuff, but like this story is just one that feels like extra gross and extra hard to watch. So I would say like, if you're not a big true crime person or your tolerance for listening to this kind of material and seeing it is low, like definitely run in the other direction and don't watch this one. Um, But I thought they did a really good job of like, Like, showing the victims, I felt like it was very respectful. They had a lot of interviews with, like, law enforcement that worked the case. They have um, John Wayne Gacy's uh, criminal defense lawyer. He's interviewed a lot in it. And so we get to see, like, his perspective of how it was. Because I guess he's the one who was the first person to ever hear him, like, confess to all these killings. And he said it was this weird situation for him to be in because, like, he's not a police officer. So he couldn't just arrest the guy. But he left knowing, like, what this guy has done. So that was an interesting perspective. They have a lot of original footage from what happened. And then, like, the whole series, like the name suggests, Conversations with the Killer, uh, they use a lot of audio tapes Mm. of um, first-person interviews that were done with John Wayne Gacy. And it's, like, previously unreleased audio footage. But it's heavy. It's a lot. I... I had a hard time getting into it. Once I was into it, it was fine. But it's just, it's sad. 
but it was it was sad but really good. <laughs> I just went over to my Netflix to like see what it was about or mm-hmm. whatever, and look what the first thing that is on my homepage is. <laughs> this is gonna be great. There oh, it is. There yeah, it that's, is. yeah, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, crazy, crazy, yeah, crazy. Creepy, gross. He was a bad guy. Absolutely was a terrible guy. Um, mm-hmm. and is one of the most infamous, though. You know, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> this is how I judge it. Remember that South Park episode where they had all the serial killers <laughs> oh, from hell? <laughs> they had the three of them, yeah. The three students. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know. Um, oh. all right, let's dive into uh the news of the week, the craziness we have going on in the news of the world. Uh, the movie world that is. And I'm going to start with a little bit of breaking news, but it's not really major. Uh, it's just that, well, this is actually a little later than expected, but the American cinema, cinema editors uh, have released a statement responding to the 2022 Academy Awards. And it starts with, uh, we feel cheated, insulted, and angry by the way our art was deemed superfluous in favor of bloated performances and spectacle, uh, which is pretty direct sean looking at you as the awards guy here and they are offering to where is it ace calls on production designers set decorators costume designers composers makeup hairstylists short film creators sound artists and all creative disciplines to join us in demanding fairness and inclusiveness give us a voice in the process let us work together to find the solution that truly honors filmmaking and assure this never happens again I don't think it will happen again. I think the only reason they didn't walk it back before the um, before the ceremony that one time is they just didn't want to like like pretend they were like uh, you know being like they were being bowed to or you know cowtailed by it. I think that this next year they're going to say, "Wow, this was an experiment that went terrible. It did not save any time. It like you know just it didn't look good. It was just a bad idea." It's unbelievable that I think I like the way they're doing it right now because I think even Ace did speak out before the awards, um, before the ceremony. But I think now they're just saying, hey, listen, that was terrible. We feel like shit. Can you just not do this next year? Can we all get? And I think everyone's going to get involved in that. And, you know, it's going to be one of those things where, you know, when so many like different branches that are involved in making films like are going to go against the Academy Awards and that, then. Like that's that that is the Academy, man. <laughs> that's like the majority of how a movie is made. So if they're all against it, you know, I think that uh, you know the uh, whoever the producer was, I've been hearing his name a lot. I think they're just going to be, uh, you know, they're he's out uh, or not. Excuse me, not he's out. He's out. <laughs> I mean, well, actually, that might actually happen as well. He'll he'll probably be out only because they often do someone new every single time. Um, they should first of all be doing. I don't know. I'm going to go off on a tangent now. It should just be a television producer. It shouldn't be a film producer. Soderbergh, you make great films. Keep making great films. Don't ever do the Oscars again. Um, this guy, same thing. Like I've, like you know, I've seen some of his stuff. It's great, but at this point, get a television producer to do this. It belongs as a television producing type of thing. It is, it, it is on television, so uh, it's it's one of those things where they'll know better and they'll know like how to handle this in the best of ways. Agreed. Ziana, are you a fan of the Oscars? Are you going to continue watching moving forward? Oh, yeah, I'll definitely watch. (laughs) Um, I like the Oscars. Obviously, this year's was weird, but... You're very polite in saying that it was an absolute clusterfuck. Yes, yes, it was. Um, No, but I'll definitely, I'll still watch. 
All right. So the next story I want to talk about is we haven't really um, jumped into a lot of the conversation around Warner Brothers, but recently uh, Warner Brothers in terms of DC, but recently Warner Brothers and Discovery completed their merger. Um, a lot of the old figureheads at Warner Brothers are out. Uh, the or leadership, I should say, figure they weren't necessarily figureheads. They were doing bad things, but not necessarily <laughs> great. You know, just just there. Um, Long story short is that there's a lot of reorganization going on and there is talk of wanting to really focus on DC and its movies to really utilize the value of those properties, the characters. One note from a couple weeks ago when this story broke, maybe it was last week or the week before, was that uh, he, the David Zaslav, who is uh, the CEO now, I believe he is, um, had said that Superman shouldn't be on the sidelines. He's one of the biggest I, uh, pieces of IP that we have. Why are we not doing anything with him? And now it looks like they're starting to take a look at what's in uh, in the shoot here um, and figuring out where they should land. What this means is that movies like Batgirl, which is a $70 million film that was slated to go to HBO Max, uh, is now potentially going to go to theaters. This always was kind of interesting to me because when they first announced a couple of the films that were going to HBO Max, it was this, Blue Beetle, I think Static Shock, which is not a well-known one, but it's an adaptation of um, a young black superhero comic uh, from the 90s, I believe it was. Um, that, that was all, They were all going to go to HBO Max. Static Shock, I believe, was the first one that they said would go to theaters. Then Blue Beetle was tagged for theaters. And then Batgirl was the only... The, the only feature film from HBO Max that was going to stay on HBO Max. Um, the Wonder Twins, I think, is an HBO Max movie now, but like, whatever. For me, this is kind of, it's always just felt a little wrong because as you're trying to diversify what a superhero movie can be and really dive into some of these characters, just relegating the characters that are clearly of different uh, backgrounds. You know, Blue Beetle is uh, a Hispanic man uh, or Hispanic boy. Um, Static Shock is a black boy. Uh, you have uh, Leslie Gla Leslie Grace here playing Supergirl, uh, Supergirl Batgirl. Uh, and they were all going to HBO Max. Just seemed like such an odd thing. Ziana, in your mind, does that take, if that they were to keep that with it going to HBO Max, does that take away from how you feel about the character in the film? And does it hurt? your confidence in sort of or their confidence do you, do you not see their confidence in that property yeah i still feel like i mean i know it's different now but it's hard to break away from that like straight to video mindset <laughs> and it doesn't <laughs> yeah, mean true. it doesn't mean the same thing today as what it used to mean um but i definitely think yeah what if it's if it's not being released in theater just going straight to a streaming service it's it's not going to get the same amount of coverage people aren't going to talk about it as much and i do feel like it's hard to not interpret that as them just kind of pushing it straight to the streaming platform um but with that being said it's crazy that we live in a time where their their budgets are 70 million dollars <laughs> for a movie that they're not even planning on releasing to theater. Like, that's crazy. So it means the quality of movies that we're getting on these streaming services is, like, very high. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. It seems like a really weird choice to be like, we're going to take all of the cast with more diversity and then just not release it in theater. Just seems like in this political climate, why do that? 
Sean, your thoughts on that, and then do you think it has anything to do with the how they are viewing the movie and the kind of the dailies that they've seen out of it? I know it wrapped filming, but I'm sure there's not a cut of it yet because there is already talk of a sequel. When it comes down to it, like you know, Batgirl like may like catch the attention of some people, but things like Static Shock and Blue Beetle are like you know properties I've never heard of, and so it might be a little bit tricky to risk those going into theaters. Um, that being said, I think that the straight to streaming, especially on HBO Max, is for the diamond and the roughs. Basically, the 18 Soderbergh movies because he like you know made it sold his soul to HBO Max. But in all seriousness, like Kimmy was an exceptional movie that I never even like saw a trailer for or heard of, and I was just I was so excited when it showed up and I just clicked on it. I worry with something like um, these DC properties also that you know yeah they'll show up on the front page. But I noticed that the DC properties on HBO Max get kind of buried within the hub. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you have to like go searching in the hub of the like the 18 different things right next to Sesame Street and Turner Classic Movies. And it's just one of those like areas where all of a sudden those movies will just be buried in there, like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, where you can <laughs> barely find them. Um, I, I think these should be in the these three should be in theaters. I think it would be interesting to see them go there. And this is HBO Max. This is the thing that did a uh, like one-to-one release for like an entire year. This is the place that does now a 45-day release. So it's not that big of a deal. Like You could try these out in theaters, see what happens. I mean, we're, we're about to talk about something with cultural diversity in a second where when this representation is shown, more people go to the theater. They're more interested in it that way. And like, I, I think that uh, the other part of it is with the Marvel properties that are streaming. Because the article you posted mentioned like the like the Marvel properties. Well, some of them do Marvel properties that are a little bit interesting. I'm like, but that's like kind of not all that Disney plus has, but that is the only original content that Disney plus has almost. Yeah, sure. Star Wars. Yeah, sure. A few other things here and there, but their premier stuff is Marvel. The premier, like I'm watching currently, I'm watching like 18 HBO max shows. (laughs) There's like a lot of like new stuff there. And you know, like the DC shows on HBO max, they're just not like, they don't jump out as me as much. Well, because none of them have been original yet. Oh, that's true. They are from like the like what is it, CW or something? Yeah, most of them are. Well, no, the ones that are on there, like the Harley Quinn one, the yeah. Doom Patrol, that is all from the DC unit. What was it called? DC Universe or DC DCEU? No, they had a stream like a, their own subscription thing. Um, I feel like, yeah, I think it was called DC Universe, and they were trying to get that going, but then HBO Max became a thing, and they just linked it in there. Let's loop in what you mentioned about the Mm -hmm. cultural representation, because I think that that plays into the questions I was asking here. So there was a joint study by UCLA Center for Scholars and Storytellers and the Full Story Initiative at the CAA, and they were taking a look at the impact of authentic, inclusive representation. So they refer to it as AIR, authentic, inclusive representation. And basically... They, they found that movies could earn much better rapport with audiences as well as much more money if there were cultural depictions of authentic, if their cultural depictions were authentic and free from stereotypes. So the study found that like with big budget films in particular, uh, that film, high budget films could earn an additional 75.2 million by increasing their AIR scores. Um, and that 
audiences and critics responded more favorably to studio films with higher AIR scores. So in talking about Batgirl, 75.2 million covers the production budget right there. <laughs> you know, that's fascinating to me. But like, Ziana, is this anything we didn't know? I mean, I wasn't surprised to hear that at all. But I feel like this has been the story for decades where it's like, I mean, especially I'm most interested in like women in film as a woman. So mm -hmm. there's so many stories of like a woman directs a film and it does really well and they do a sequel and they get a male director. Yeah. She's not allowed anywhere near the project. You know, there's a lot of stories like that where it's like this one thing did so well and then, yeah, they just take the representation away. So I feel like it makes perfect sense because um, to make a movie feel real and engaging like it you have to have that authenticity yeah. there so there's nothing more annoying than watching a movie and listening to bad dialogue and you're like no one speaks like that no one would say that and so to make that feel more authentic it's like yeah you need more people from different communities different ages like i don't want to watch a movie about millennials that's written by someone who's 75 like it's not going to sound authentic so i just feel like having more people in the room with different experiences, it it just makes sense. So of course it's gonna appeal to more people. I totally agree. Sean, your thoughts on that? I have a I have notes that I put underneath every single part of the outline. And my notes here just say, yeah, no shit. It's <laughs> just <laughs> like I mean I mean the proof could be in all of these studies and I'm happy they're doing studies that have like legitimate like you know yeah. legitimate proof that you can go back to but I mean, Black Panther got a billion dollars and it wasn't because of the bad CGI train scene. Like, this is because that movie, like, you know, showed uh, representation in the finest ways. I mean, Crazy Rich Asians, the same exact situation. I mean, just recently, and unfortunately, this didn't get any box office because Disney hates Pixar, but Turning Red became a huge thing uh, from a director that did Bow, and uh, like, which was the short that won the Academy Awards at that time. And it's just one of those things where I really think about it, where when it's depicted properly... When a culture is depicted properly, which, you know, properly, excuse me, which like, you know, a lot of animated films are doing these days. A lot of Disney films, Pixar films um, are doing these days. Uh, you know, Get Out is another one that I can think of. But when that culture is depicted properly or like a, a, a representation of their suffering or just a representation of their community mm -hmm. is done properly, people will go to see it. Now, I don't really need to see any representation of my community because I've, I've seen it for like 100 years in film. All right. So I'm also interested in that as well as someone who's white. Like I'm interested in seeing other cultures in there. And so I will be interested in seeing that. I think there's a lot of people like that as well. So it's not only the people that are seen, which is definitely the most important thing, but then it's also like someone like me who's interested in seeing all these different aspects, all these different perspectives. And, you know, for the love of God, we all like you know, fucking learn something. And I just think that like, we, you know, the proof is in the pudding when these are the movies that get the most of the box office. And that's just something to constantly keep in mind. You would support this, that their CRT in the math books down in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> math teacher that, and your CRT. <laughs> I have that controversial opinion that slaves existed or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Go boy. Fucking Florida. Did you see Texas apparently reached out like jokingly and was like, we'll take Disneyland. You can build it here. We'll like, we won't do that. I'm like, like they're going to go to Texas. Like that's the one. You know, I think. <laughs> I think they were going to build a, a Disney in Texas at one point, but <laughs> Jesus. Well, listen, we talk a lot about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and today we talked about the uh, DC enter Entertaining Universe, I almost said, which I think a lot of people would disagree with in a lot of ways. Uh, DC Extended Universe. Let's talk about the one universe we haven't talked about in a while. 
god, this is so sad. At one point, we were supposed to get the Dark Universe from Universal, which would be all the monster movies, the Mummy, the uh, probably a Dracula. I'm sure Renfield would have been like tackled in there at some point. <laughs> um, Invisible Man, all of that stuff, and it just fell flat when a little movie reboot called The Mummy came out. Um, now, listen, I said right from the start this was a terrible idea to reboot this movie because the first one is so beloved in a lot of ways. People love the first one, Brendan Fraser. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the sequels weren't terrible. The fourth one was. But <laughs> the rest of the sequels weren't terrible. There was a fourth? The em- Or is it the third? Emperor's? The, no, the third, third with Jet Li. Was that the third one? Which one was this? So. Was the second one Scorpion King? Scorpion King, yeah. Okay. okay. A lot going on. Anyway, we got a uh, Mummy reboot back in, oh, geez, when was this? 2017? Um, no, 2014. It, was it that long ago? It couldn't have been that long ago. It was around that time. Oh, God. I wish I did my homework here before I uh, brought this up. But anyway, it starred um, Tom Cruise, uh, and it just wasn't a very good movie. And that's exactly what the director has said, uh, the director whose name uh, is Alex Kurtzman. Um, basically, um, Dracula Untold was originally the film that was going to launch the new world, the new dark world or dark universe or whatever um and the people that were originally tapped to be involved were tom cruise russell crowe sophia batella johnny depp and javier bardem um basically in an interview with uh a recent or in an outlet man my words are not working tonight recently in an outlet (laughs) kurtzman said in an interview jesus i just fucked it up again recently in an interview with an outlet for his new movie um kurtzman said i tend to subscribe to the point of view that you learn nothing from your successes and you learn everything from your failures and that was probably the biggest failure of my life both personally and professionally (laughs) apparently there was a lot of involvement from the studio um yeah which is you know as soon as that happens you know that things are going to uh are going to go south he said there are too many cooks in the kitchen in in the kitchen uh, but the experience quote rebuilt him into a tougher person and helped him become a clearer filmmaker um and that he uh can identify a few when it doesn't feel right that he's not quiet about it anymore so i think like i totally subscribe to that in life that failures teach you more than successes in a lot of ways um but sean dark universe is this number one did you like that mummy movie number two are you upset that the dark universe never came to be it's funny when it says here like the Mummy movie was bad. Once again in my notes, I put yeah, no shit. Um, but <laughs> um, no, I actually did not see this Mummy movie, so I can't <clears throat> pass judgment on it. I kind of like this was back when you know I didn't want to see the bad movies. Now I like want to see them, and this is before I started my uh, Instagram page or any of that stuff began. Um, so I was just like, wait, bad movie. I'm not watching that. Um, and uh, I just knew that they were, you know, trying to do the universe, which I get why, because you want to make the Avengers. You want to do like everybody wants to do that because the Avengers was exciting. And like so like they want to like put the characters in there. Um, and I think what they were doing is they were definitely it was a cart before the horse situation. And they really tried to push the universe before they could even like think about like, you know, working on the movie. And, you know, I think like filmmakers in the marvel universe have that now where it's like oh we have to include these eight things and like put them in every like little aspect to make sure that all the avenues are proper um i think in this case it was just like you know there there was really no room for this director to breathe and i really don't blame this director at all 
Like, I, I truly don't. I think this is, like, the most studio stuff. I mean, it's good of him to, like, you know, take take a responsibility, reflect upon it himself, and, like, look at his mistakes. But, I mean, it just seems like this was sort of a mess due to the studio. And it just, like, seemed like they were complete. It was a complete overreach, honestly. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I admire, like, someone that can learn from such a really tough experience. So I, I wish him luck with his next film. Did it say what his next film is? Oh, geez. I knew you were going to ask that. Um, <laughs> I'll look that up, but as I transition over to Ziana, the, I think that's the thing that really struck me about this was that it was a really refreshing take from a uh, director or a filmmaker in general that had a very poor experience, a very poor outing with his movie, uh, but didn't bash the studio at all, um, but just was very honest about it and how it influenced him moving forward as a filmmaker. Did you see the mummy? Mm -mm. Me neither. <laughs> no. I was like, Nope, not happening. I really don't think anyone did. <laughs> Honestly, I'm trying to remember. I'm like, do I even remember that that came out? Like, maybe I don't know. It was very 2017. Yeah. Oh, there we go. From the trailer, it was like I couldn't tell who the mummy was. Like, I guess it was supposed to be Tom Cruise, but he like survived a plane crash. But then he was dead. But then he came out of a body bag, and then he ran away from someone, some lady who had like 18 eyes. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't think I don't think this movie's for me. Yeah, I tend to just see Tom Cruise and pretty immediately go, this probably isn't for me. And then if I knew it was the mummy that they're remaking, I would have been like, we've already, we already did it. We're done. That was his last feature film um, that he's worked on, which is sad. <laughs> he's doing the shows now. And, but he produces more than anything else. Um, so recently he's been pr uh, producing the Star Trek shows. And I think the Star Trek movies he's been a producer on as well. And he's uh, tagged for the next one. But also still on his IMDb is Van Helsing, Untitled Phantom of the Opera film, Untitled Hunchback of Notre Dame film, Untitled Frankenstein film, Untitled Dracula film, and Now You See Me 3. <laughs> oh, God. There's a third Now You See Me that's going to come out? Uh, apparently. Oh. That is happening. Um, the most recent movie that he was talking about in, I think it was the series that he was talking about, honestly, that he's directing, uh, which is The Man Who Fell to Earth. Oh, yeah. Showtime. Yeah. I believe that was what the interview was likely about. Um, all right. Next story is probably the biggest story to really hit this podcast in quite a long time. Um, but everything apparently is getting a live action <laughs> take. Hot Wheels is no different. Hot Wheels is getting a live action film uh, that Jason Momoa will probably attach himself to soon. J.J. <laughs> um, <laughs> Abrams' bad robot will produce. So we'll get a lot of lens flares. Um, and it's in the works with Mattel Films and Warner Brothers Pictures. Um, there's no, There are no other details about like what this movie could potentially be. Uh, but they're targeting towards targeting fans of all ages. I think I still have a box of Hot Wheels actually somewhere. By the way, my parents were like, keep them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they were yeah vehicles for our imaginations. Um, Ziana, were they vehicles for your imagination? I mean, Hot Wheels were always fun. Yeah. yeah. I feel like, I mean, like I was a girl, so I never got Hot Wheels. But that was a toy where like when my younger cousin would come over, like he would play with my Barbies. I would play with his Hot Wheels. Like that was a fun one. Um a little confused as to how you make a movie about it. But then I also thought that the Lego movie sounded really stupid before they made those. So it might be one of those situations where like 
there's so much creative room. It's either going to be like enough rope to hang yourself or it's going <laughs> to be enough space to actually do something really cool and new. So the live action part is what confuses me. Cause I just think about like, is this fast and the furious 10? Like That's what it's going to be you like, yeah. essentially like it's the same type of thing, right? Like with kids or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kids battle into kids going up in those loops and stuff. Um, remember the ones that you pulled back and the tires like reared up yeah. and then shot forward? They were the mm -hmm. best ones. <laughs> I could never find them after that. But Sean, did you have Hot Wheels growing up or were you a oh, Mighty God, Max yes. kid? Oh, no. Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels completely <laughs> all the way. Um, Holly Pocket like... and Ma uh, Mad Max or Mighty Max. Oh, the it had the volcano. I had the volcano. I did too. There we go. There we go. That's going to be a movie soon. Let's talk about it. So um, I will say with the Hot Wheels situation, I had the track where there were four loops like that came out and they would cross each other. Now, sometimes they would hit each other like and like, you know, mm -hmm. collide with each other and stuff. Now, if this movie's smart, that's like the final Royal Rumble of this entire movie. And that's like the big third act is where they're just looping around and they just keep on looping around. And like, you know, it's like, you know, can you handle the crossfire? No, man. And like the main character who's like the good guy has to save his family. So he has to go into the crossfire in order to save his family. And that's going to be the big like climactic scene. I think I just wrote this thing. I want some credit from oh Abraham. Oh my gosh. That, that reminds me of the scene from um, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. And they oh, have to like oh, yes. try and get downstairs and like they have to get into the Hot Wheels car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I will say this is probably not gonna look the way we think it does. Like we all are like saying mm -hmm. this, oh, it's a Hot Wheels movie. This is ridiculous. This is gonna look, like you guys said, a little bit more like a Fast and the Furious movie where it's mm -hmm. gonna be racing cars and they're gonna probably be racing on crazy tracks, but it's gonna be a lot more, I mean, let me quote this in the most unbelievable sense, quote unquote realistic looking, where it's just gonna be like a fantasy world, somewhat sci-fi with like crazy tracks around there, but that's gonna be the racing. I mean- Hell, it could like devolve into like a speed racer acid trip, but I don't think it's gonna go down that way. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I'm, you know, this is this is Abrams, and so I, I mean, I trusted him with Star Wars Nine. I'll never trust him again. But I think you can still sort of trust him in the sense that, like, okay, this is gonna be a blockbuster. This is gonna be like a sci-fi. It's gonna be an action. I mean, this guy like does create like something. Mm -hmm that like is engaging enough and might be, you know, on a silly level, but something that could work out. It. So it, I'm, I'm talking in the most serious tone ever about a fucking Hot Wheels movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to stop talking, but that I, I do trust Abrams ever so slightly. But remember too, he's only producing, not directing so or writing. So That's true, actually, yeah, I, I don't know how much impact he's going to have. I think about the kids racing in Wreck-It Ralph. That's like what comes to mind, like a live action version of that. Oh, that'd be lovely. Wouldn't it? It'd be adorable. Last story for the evening uh, is a real oinker. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Buddy. <laughs> Pig director Michael Sarnowski is writing and directing an adaptation of the graphic novel Sabrina. This is, I mean, this guy's going to get a lot of offers coming his way. Probably already has because Pig was a really good movie for, with, for what it was. Um, even though I didn't absolutely love it, but I see the value in it. Um, as we've discussed before, Sean and I were very hungover watching that movie. It was a bad idea. Yeah, it was we a really were, bad idea. What is going on? And why do I want truffles? <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is a film adaptation of the graphic novel from Nick Dronsano. Dronsano? Hmm. Interesting. Sabrina uh, is the name of it. 
he's also expected to make a quiet place the uh, a quiet place spinoff as his next film too so he's got a lot going on but the graphic novel follows a grieving man whose girlfriend goes missing and who goes to live with his old friend an air force surveillance expert agent who is dealing with a failed marriage after a grisly videotape is sent anonymously to news outlets sabrina's disappearance goes viral as the 24-hour news cycle and social media take hold of the story the two men are targeted by vitriolic conspiracy theorists that threaten their sense of truth and their faith in each other this sounds very mature uh and right up my alley um ziana your thoughts on this one same. I was just thinking. I was like, so I am the target demographic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> It'll be promoted on Crime Junkie. You know, they've yes. been doing some yes. movies here and there, and they're like, now playing. <laughs> and all of the other <laughs> true yeah. crime podcasts. <laughs> no, I think that sounds that sounds interesting. That sounds intriguing. I feel like we've been getting a lot of really good like murder mystery series and movies lately. And I feel like most of them have been really good. So I think that this this definitely has potential. It sounds like different enough where it's going to be kind of original, but then it also seems like it's probably going to follow somewhat of the formula that works with yeah. these like missing people, murder mystery cases. So I'm definitely wonder, intrigued. It gives me a Gone Girl vibe in a little bit of a mm-hmm. way, yeah. like, but with multiple people. Sean, mm-hmm. your, your thoughts on this? I mean, Pig was this movie that transported you into another world, like of the the high stakes world of restaurants and truffle hunting, and then it was it the got... Pacific Northwest. <laughs> yeah, but there weren't like like fight scenes going on inside over like truffle pigs and everything. Like, in that sort of situation, it was. Like... I didn't tell you about my time in Seattle. <laughs> I was gonna say, did you see some truffle hunting pig wars? Um, I I will say like that was like this like really dark and twisted world throughout it with a pretty like dark and twisted character. Um, and I think that, you know, this is a hop, skip and a jump away from that. And so I think he'll feel pretty good here. Um, I love that he's trying something, you know, okay. So he is doing the next, like a quiet place spinoff movie. So he's the, he's the indie director doing something big, but also he's still like, you know, working on some of his passion projects. Like he probably knew this graphic novel quite a bit. And this has been something like, you know, I want to do this now. And he's going to get, you know, like the keys to the car and it's going to be, you know, a lot better than, you know, just some something that would be probably slightly more low budget. So I'm happy this guy's going to be able to explore. I also, I mean, once again, just like Joe, I don't know if I, like, I, I thought Pig was good. I don't think it was great. But once again, very hungover, probably should watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> like when I'm okay. It was a late night. We were singing In the Heights on the way back from the bar. Oh, God, that was a mess. And to the bar. <laughs> and to the bar. Yeah, we weren't okay going there. <laughs> Twas a problem. Ugh. All right, let's dive into rants and raves. I'm going to start off with a rant slash rave here. And the rave portion of it is for uh, a lot of the streamers out there like Hulu, um, uh, HBO Max, Peacock, all of those for sticking with the release schedule of an episode uh... a week. Uh, <laughs> because what they've done by doing that is shown the weakness of Netflix. Mm. And it is now starting to impact them. Um, I think my rant portion of this is that Netflix hasn't changed their model in since it started. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're doing a terrible job of keeping up with the Joneses here. Sean, you made the point last week when we talked about Netflix a little bit that, you know, one of the biggest issues is they don't have the water cooler moments for more than one shot, right? Like they, because they release everything at once, you don't have that prolonged conversation uh, that goes over a couple of weeks because people are enjoying it and seeing how it develops and what's going on. 
So I think, you know, kudos to all, like Hulu especially. Hulu, yeah. I think it part of it, it helped when it was, now it's like under Disney uh, mostly. Uh, I think they have better leadership and stuff, but they're doing a great job with the films that they're getting, the films they're releasing, mm-hmm. the series, and even their integration, um, and, which is probably due to some other agreements uh, that are outstanding with like Universal and stuff. But, you know, the thing about Pam um, is also on Hulu. Uh, it's on Peacock and it's through Hulu. So it's just, I think it's working for them and it's allowing some of these series to take on larger budgets for production um, as well as um, just, I think, putting out better content. Mm-hmm. Um, Netflix also has really kind of shot themselves in the foot with content recently uh, where it hasn't been great. So I am very, uh, very much an anti-Netflix person in a lot of ways now i don't want to say that out loud too much because i do love screeners for movies that i'm interested in no i'm (laughs) i'm not anti-netflix i just find myself gravitating towards other um other streamers now i think hulu more so than any of the others and hbo max Mm -hmm. um but netflix is not that doesn't hold the place in my heart that it did before what about Mm -hmm. with you guys yeah, yep. Hulu has stepped it up recently. I think HBO Max is probably still my favorite, but Hulu is right there neck and neck. I feel like they've had really good original content mm-hmm. lately and they have more variety. So it's like if you want to watch just like mindless reality TV, you can get that on Hulu. If you want to mm-hmm. watch like a really good documentary, Hulu. Like I just feel like they have more variety. And then yeah, Netflix point. has... Netflix has like their highly bingeable shows that come out that like I binge all at once and then I'm done. Um, but I've been like more consistently going to Netflix, scrolling through it, and then going to a different same here, and then actually watching something. Same here, but Sean, they don't have Boss Baby uh, Family Values, so like, what are you going to do with that Boss Baby series? I mean, uh, when it comes goes away. The problem with the Boss Baby series is I want to try to like digest it in like easy chunks because like it's it gets very intense along its like mm-hmm. second uh, or third movie and so I want to make sure like I'm I I basically rotate it. He's going it for a clip here. That's that's what he's doing. He's going for a joke here and a clip. <laughs> Buddy, you pitched the slow you pitched the slow fastball. That's not a thing. <laughs> is that all you have to say about Netflix? <laughs> I got thirty minutes of sleep last night. No, I mean like when it comes down to it, like it's it is that problem with Netflix is you know. People will just binge a show um, mm-hmm. and it's almost like, you know, they have to release it week by week as if, you know, we got to give the audience their vegetables. Everybody wants to binge. Everybody just wants to binge it right away. But week by week is a way of giving the audience vegetables. They process it a little bit better. They talk about it more and it becomes a little bit more interesting. But, you know, you won't do that if you get it all at once and you'll just brrr, you'll just like plow through it. Now, I intentionally don't binge. I'm one of the few people that do not binge. Um, I go, I do a rotation of all of my different apps on my Amazon fire stick, where I go to the one app that I go to the next app that hasn't been used that much. And I go through every single show, but just one episode of that show. Then I go to the next one and I make sure I do the same thing, go to the next one of that show. And, uh, my wife will leave me probably in the next uh, four to six days. That's so chaotic. It's, 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 and the, if, if the apps get like messed up slightly because she decides to, I don't know, innocently watch TV for a night, I get very upset. Oh my God. Wait. So what is the correct order? <laughs> oh no, no. There's no like legitimate correct order. It's okay, just the, okay. the lat, like the thing I haven't used in the longest time, mm-hmm. which is at the bottom of the list. Okay. I go to that one there first. And okay. then so that'll be the next one. So, you know, it's the least used that I did first. Like, you know, say Hulu is all the way at the back. That means, oh, I haven't been on Hulu in a while. 
like Hulu was like, and so then it goes to HBO Max and it goes to Netflix. (laughs) And if I don't, if it doesn't go in that exact order, then I burn the house down. But um, why? What? Why? It's a a good way to like neaten out, like, because otherwise, like, you know, what if like Netflix is always, always in the back and there's uh, a show that I want to watch on Netflix, then I'll forget about that show. You can write it down. Excuse me? That seems like it'd be so hard to keep track of what's going on in the shows that you're watching. Oh! You know, I mean, not really. Like, because, I I don't know. But in the long term, it also seems like you would, yeah, you would kind of remember it more. I don't know. I binge hard. (laughs) And it helps me, like, it helps my ADHD, like, focus on one show so I can remember what's going on and, like, who these people are. But then um, I think about it three months later, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, that show, I loved it." And then I'm like, "There it is. What happened? Who was there it? There it is. There it is. See, <laughs> I still know what's going on in Succession. The okay. <laughs> but you also run into the problem of potentially being spoiled. That's okay. a problem. Yeah. If if like you know, well, the very important ones I watch with Sam, and we binge it because Sam likes to binge. Mm-hmm. And so in those situations, I don't. But the other 800 shows I watch on my own, those are the ones that I watch in a rotation. This has turned into an intervention of Sean's uh, viewing habits. I'm fine. Yeah. I can quit wherever I want. Your I'm just, just... going to see a drunk Kaylee Cuoco come at me or something like that. <laughs> Your eye just twitched when you said that. All right. <laughs> it's what? No, it's fine. You're right. <laughs> Sean, rant about what? All right, so my rant is about uh, the recent uh, onslaught of uh, hatred for method acting. Um, And uh, first of all, I know there are some people that do method acting and they don't really do it properly in the sense that they, like, abuse cast and crew. Mm -hmm. Those people should not be doing method acting. Those people, like, that is people that are bad bad method method actors. And basically, I am looking at literally Jared Leto. Uh, like that is the guy that should not do method acting. Child um, left too can be thrown in that. Oh God! Well, I mean, he like yeah. Oh, actually, yeah. Because, oh God. Um, so that was a bad. <laughs> wait. One, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Uh, actually, that's the clip. <laughs> like, I was like, wait, what did you do it on set that was bad? Oh, honey boy. Oh, FK Twigs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. cold is on two thousand. Oh yeah, probably shouldn't do that. Oh, didn't bathe for months. Okay. Um. And so that's actually one of the like yeah. So there's you know. There's some good method acting and some bad method acting. Mm-hmm. So um, I love like the quote, but also like this is somewhat of a rave because I love the quotes that are against method acting because they're hysterical. And this has been happening with a lot of stars recently. Um, one of the best ones was uh, this was a story way back when um, where uh, Lawrence Olivier and uh, Dustin Hoffman were in Marathon Man. And Dustin Hoffman went like deep method where he like ran 10 miles every day. He like, you know, yanked some of that teeth out of his like uh, uh, out of his face and stuff like that. And Lawrence Olivier, who's a classically trained British actor, said like, you know, why don't you just try acting, my boy? And I was like, that is (laughs) fucking hysterical. That is just truly like the funniest story about that. Like Dustin Hoffman is trying to go method and he does that. So um, recently... Uh, there was a few actors that commented on method acting. Uh, Will Poulter said it's an excuse for inappropriate behavior. He's mm-hmm. absolutely correct. Um, that's like a problem. Like if you take method acting too far, that's a problem right there. Um, Mads Mikkelsen had a very, very funny comment where he's just like, yeah, method acting is bullshit. Um, it's like, what if the film sucks and you work that hard and the film ends up sucking and stuff like that? It's true. Like that was like really a funny one. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still one of those things where I think method acting can be good with the right amount of, uh, 
you know, moments and stuff like that. And I want to talk, this is a longer quote and then I'll probably close it out. But um, John Bernthal had a great quote about method acting, which was both funny. He said, he doesn't use it. It's not for him, but he sort of justifies it where he's like, and that's why these conversations are difficult for me, honestly, because every actor has a process. Having studied in Moscow at the Moscow Art Theater, I guarantee you that making everybody call you by your character name and not showering for eight months was not what Stanislavski had in mind with that method. But, <laughs> but at the end of the day, these sacred seconds between action and cut, that's all we got. So that means that I got to stay in proximity to that role, close to those sacred seconds, that I'm not on a cell phone or eating Chinese food or making plans for the evening. But if I'm talking like Wayne and I'm acting like Wayne because it's going to help those seconds, I think you got to do that. And sometimes that's a day. Sometimes that's a week. Sometimes it's five minutes. I thought that was like a really like gracious way to look at that. It's like, that's his way of sort of like trying to rationalize those people that like, you know, there were Daniel day Lewis, like, you know, like learns how to make shoes for gangs in New York or needs to be called Mr. President during Lincoln and stuff like that. And it's, it's tiny little things that, you know, Daniel day Lewis probably could have nailed it without having to do that. Like mm -hmm. he's that good of an actor, but it just shows that there are certain levels of like method acting that if it's harm, if it does not harm the other people around or anything like that, it could be something that's used. So I don't know. Like I just, everybody that like showed up with that, um, it, it was one of like an interesting like thing I wanted to talk about. So it's not a like dead on rant. Cause I get what those actors are saying, but you know, I guess small doses. It's fun. I love that. It's all like these like <laughs> jabs at one another, essentially. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> like you know people that are method actors and we've heard a lot about it recently now all these people coming out against against method acting and you know exactly who they're talking about oh they're all talking about leto yeah yeah it's, great. <laughs> it's wonderful ziana i'm worried about this rave because i've I'm heard a lot about this so upset with you with this, this is a so, oh wait this should be a rant <laughs> i wanted this to be a rant i turned it on with the intention of wanting to have a show to rant about and instead all I can do is rave. So I watched The Ultimatum on Netflix. It's their newest reality dating TV show. Um, the full title is The Ultimatum, Marry or Move On. And the <laughs> premise is we've got, I think there were like six couples that it started out with. And one person in the couple was like dead set on getting married. All of these couples had been together for at least a little while, I, like most of them were like two, three years, they've been together. And one person was like, I'm ready to be married. I'm ready to start that chapter of my life. And the other person for a variety of reasons was like, I'm not totally sure. So what happens is they all go on the show. And they're essentially like, single they all like take a break <laughs> because of this ultimatum that was issued. Fucking show. Then they all date each other for like three or four days. They all have to get to know each other. And then they have to choose another person on the cast to live with for three weeks to do like a trial marriage. And then after that, they go back with their original partner that they came on the show with. They live with them for three weeks for a trial marriage. And then at the end of that time, they have to choose like, are you going to stay together? Are you going to get engaged? Are you going to break up? Are you going to leave single? Like, what do you want to do? And so I put it on because I was like, this sounds absolutely ridiculous. This sounds like such a stupid show. But when they made them date each other, that like raised the stakes of the drama and like just the awkward uncomfortableness 
it was so weird to like watch them date each other. And then their other partners that they came with are also there, like seeing them dating other people, which was weird. And then how they chose their partners that they were going to live with. They all like sat down at this table and the show was hosted by Nick and Vanessa Lachey. So they like opened up about their marriage. And I guess Vanessa had given Nick an ultimatum and they had split up for a while and like dated other people and then came back together and now they're married and happy and blah, blah, blah. Um, So they're like facilitating it almost like these marriage coach, friend, host kind of thing. But they had to sit down at this table and then like stand up and they'd be like, are you ready to say who you want to choose? And so they'd have to stand up and announce who they chose. And then the other person would stand up and they would have to say like, yes, if I agree to go with this person or some of them were like, no, it was like, it was so awkward and so uncomfortable. So, but if you like reality TV, that part was great. But um, I was really surprised because it actually had a lot of moments of like depth that I wasn't expecting. Like a lot of these people actually did like self-reflect and think about themselves. A lot of them had come on the show and been like, I just wanted my partner to figure their shit out and figure out that they're ready to marry me. And then that person would realize like, oh crap, maybe I shouldn't be so terrible to my partner if I want them to marry me. Like fairly obvious um conclusions to come to but like i don't know it's just it was interesting to see like the journey of self-discovery that people went on that i wasn't expecting to see from a reality dating show so yeah the ultimatum i loved I, it, it i um too, but i loved it i really i had a, i got a half of an episode in watching this with sam and pretty much the whole time she was just staring at me and I, <laughs> the first episode was the most awkward and uncomfortable. That Horrifying. was horrifying. Like I was sitting there like, oh my god, no. We turned it off. I was like, I can't, I can't do this. It's it gets so less tough. cringy. I will definitely say that. It, but the cringe is also delightful. I don't know. It was, it was wild. And I, one thing I really liked about it was that they filmed the show in Austin, and it's all like all of the cast members lived in Austin for real and so when they lived together for their trial marriages they were actually having to like go to work and they had their dogs with them and they had to live like their normal life which i feel like on most dating shows it's so weird because they're like you know across the country from where they normally live and they fall in love because they're with them all the time this one was a little more like this is i mean you're still on a reality tv show but you also do have to like kind of live your life so yeah it was interesting. I was just Googling because I thought that I had seen that some, like a film creator or some filmmaker was behind this, but it's, this isn't the one. Steven Soderbergh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, and I can't even remember who the filmmaker was. I'm trying to like remember this interview I saw where they were talking about this new show where the, like a bunch of people living together and I can't remember what it was, but this, is it like, so it's not cringe at the end? Oh, it's, I mean, it's still kind of cringe at the end because you have to figure out, like, who wants to be together and who doesn't. I don't know. It, it, it is awkward, but I just, I feel like it was a lot better than, like, The Bachelor or something where it's, like, you just met this person three weeks ago and you've been dating 20 people at once. Like, there's literally no scenario where this seems like it would actually work out. This one was, like, you actually do know the person already and some of them, through dating other people, realize, like, oh, my partner that I thought I was in love with actually treats me like crap. Because now I'm seeing that this other person that I'm living with for three weeks is being respectful. And, like, 
does their dishes or whatever. So like they had some really, um, I don't know, just like everyday kind of observations that they were able to make about the other person. So it was, I don't know. It was just interesting. It's like a reverse bachelor. Like it's, you know, they come in <laughs> together and then they just, they end up sleeping with everyone there. Yeah. I yeah. figured out what the show is that I was thinking about. Ooh, it's called, it? it's called my mom, your dad. <laughs> It's on, oh, I heard about this one. It's on HBO. <laughs> I've never HBO, heard of that. It's on HBO Max, and a group of single parents move into a house together as their college-age kids try to pull strings from behind the scenes and get their parents a second chance at love. It's from the creator of The Office. <laughs> that's why. That's why I heard of it. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna have to watch that. Adding that to my list <laughs> immediately. Yeah, it's already on. I think so. Okay. There's that. I'm really surprised that hasn't popped up on my. For you, it seems right up your alley. Yeah. It's gonna be it's on right next Instagram. to like the mom and dad getting murdered on another documentary. It's, <laughs> same cast. Um, <laughs> all right, let's talk about what's coming out this week. Uh, not a huge week for releases, but we have 365 days this day. If you're ready for uh, further pain on Netflix, the mysteries, uh, the mystery of Marilyn Monroe, the unheard ta- tapes on Netflix. Under the Banner of Heaven. Is that a series or a movie? Series with Andrew Garfield. Yeah. It's, it's an FX series, right? Yeah. Okay. It was just listed on a, a list of movies coming out. And I was like, further confusing me. That's um, good, yeah. Memory is hitting uh, theaters. <laughs> so if you're ready for another Liam Neeson outing, there you go. Um, Firebird. I can't believe I didn't talk about this. Firebird is a movie that I saw last year. It is a, a, over, a Russian LGBT community. community. Um, uh, romantic film. Why I'm like losing my words. Jesus. Um, anyway, it's a really good love story. It's it's kind of like uh, it's about two men that are in the Russian military and they fall in love and kind of like all the things. But it is it was an I think it was an indie, but it was so well done. I was blown away by it, and it was one of my favorites of last year. Uh, but that's getting uh, released in theaters in the U.S. on Friday, which is awesome. Um, so definitely recommend that to people hatching, which is another really weird one. I saw at Sundance really weird fucking movie. Um, you, did you see that Sean? I haven't seen it, but I've just seen like that one image of a young girl with a giant egg in her bed. And I'm like, yes, it is the weirdest movie in the world. (laughs) Yes. So that's hitting limited theaters. Um, and that is about it except for a, a movie called Rumspringa. Which is going to Netflix, and it's traveling to Berlin. A young Amish man on his rite of passage connects with his roots, falls in love, and makes a big, big decision. Is that like a fictional movie, or is it a doc? Documentary. It says it's a comedy. Comedy. Ooh. Okay. Um, and the I last one. Great. The last one here is Unplugging. Uh, to revive their marriage and reconnect, a couple, Ava Longoria and Matt Walsh, takes a self-prescribed digital detox weekend to remote mountain town. What starts as a perfect weekend getaway without technology quickly spirals out of control, forcing them to discover the only way home is to rely on each other. I'm sorry, Ava Longoria and Matt Walsh? Yeah. That's a okay, great... already that's the funniest goddamn movie in <laughs> the entire world. That's, I actually just read that and remembered that I have a screener of it in my email. <laughs> but it's VOD digital. <laughs> So that will be exciting. Um, We also want to share with everyone that, yes, our Patreon is out there. So please make sure that you subscribe if you would like. It's only $4 a month. There's some fun content coming your way, starting with the Northman spoiler pod that we just released this past week. uh, And there'll be more to come. But most importantly, Ziana, we are very happy to have you again tonight. Thanks for joining. 
Uh, where can people find you? Yeah, thanks for having me. So you can find me at The Basic Cinephile on Instagram, at The Basic Cinephile on TikTok, uh, basiccinephile.com, <laughs> and at The Basic Cinephile one so cinephile without the ile and the number one for twitter or just search the basic cinephile you'll find us and then we have a podcast called cinephile podcast and it's where me and my sister adelia are rereading and re-watching the entire harry potter series and basically just like reliving the magic figuring out what makes sense what doesn't make sense spoiler alert magical world doesn't make any sense <laughs> it's cool that you have magic but like you're really lacking some basic necessities like <laughs> so. it's magic yeah um and then we've got some cool deep dive episodes our latest episode that we just did we did our hogwarts class schedules this is almost like yeah. fantasy football but for like <laughs> drafting your uh hogwarts schedule so i chose all the dark stuff <laughs> yes <laughs> Um, that's the stuff I would want to know. Anyway, uh, the, it's funny you say that about the magical world because apparently um, Eddie Redmayne first told, told Jude Law when Jude Law first came onto the scene that like if you mess up or something, just run with it. It's the magical world. It doesn't have to make sense. It's magic. That <laughs> explains those movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it uh, it's, uh, I thought that was really funny. It's a great quote. Uh, but yeah, it's an awesome podcast. Check that out. And Ziana, help me get Sean more active on TikTok. Sean, be more active on TikTok. I can't. The, the one time that Joe saw me in person trying to make a TikTok video, <laughs> he just couldn't stop laughing because it was it was it was basically an old man trying to figure out how to like do it. I, I, I can't do it. I it gets can't. better. You just have to practice. Honestly, like if you scroll back, I think my first TikTok I ever made is basically like a. it, it looks like a slideshow. <laughs> yep. It looks like, yeah. it looks like I, I put a powerpoint slideshow to music it's those and, templates yeah it was awful <laughs> but it, they've they've gotten they've gotten better you just have to keep you just have to keep practicing keep keep at it i'll i'll uh i'll do like I, I don't think of creative content i only have like something interesting every like you know a couple of months and so that's why you just copy other people that's yeah, the beauty that's of TikTok. tiktok you go on you see what's trending you pick one funny thing and you go oh okay this I'm a teacher. About I something. can't do that. Like, I'll complain about Jared Leto and do some weird little like, I don't know, impersonation of someone. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't want to impersonate him in We Crash because then I might get canceled. <laughs> no, do find an audio that's like someone like yelling about something mm -hmm. and then like mimic it, right? Yeah. And wow. in text, just put anytime anyone asks me about Jared Leto. Yeah. And yep, my friend just got proposed to. There you go. Nice. She was on the ultimatum, actually. Sean's friend. Hey, congratulations, Laura. If you don't hear this, then that means you don't support me or listen to the podcast. <laughs> you doing other things right now? Like, how selfish. Um... <laughs> if Laura wants a wedding gift, she needs to respond <laughs> to prove yes. that she heard this announcement. Yes. But absolutely. you have to respond through Patreon, so please pay $4 a month. <laughs> my, my wedding gift to her is going to be the Patreon subscription. <laughs> Asking for four dollars. <laughs> <would. Yeah>, <laughs> All right, guys. Well, it's been a lot of fun, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. As always, thanks for listening. You can follow both Joe and Sean on Instagram at Guy at the Movies and Math Teacher Movies. New episodes of the Guy at the Movies podcast with Joe and Sean are available every Wednesday morning wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be on the lookout for special spoiler pods where we dive deep into the latest film releases. 
If you like what you hear, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. See you next time.